Hey, entrepreneurs, today you get the treat of hearing me interview and ask a bunch of questions of John uh, about his experience as an entrepreneur. He proclaims he's got one big success and he's got one big failure, and he's distilled five learning lessons from really each. Five learning lessons around things to absolutely never do again as an entrepreneur and five learning lessons on what to absolutely do again. You're gonna to wanna to buckle up as you hear more from John St. Pierre, our own. John, would love for you to kick off the conversation with uh, just the story of your experience in this space. Yeah, Rich, I appreciate it. I'm excited to talk a little bit today really about entrepreneurial leadership and speaking to entrepreneurs about what it takes to develop an organization and the learnings I've had, both the failures and the successes of getting an organization beyond the startup zone, beyond building a lifestyle business and really getting to unlock the equity in your business and also helping leaders become entrepreneurs within your organization so they can duplicate the same. Unlock equity in your business. Uh, yeah. I think that's an interesting term and I'm sure lots of entrepreneurs would love to do that. How do you do that without selling? Yeah. So, Rich, I think part of the issue entrepreneurs have, you think about the entrepreneurial life cycle, is entrepreneurs get into this area called the entrepreneurial dilemma. It's also called in certain areas the messy middle, where when you start a business, if you and I were to start a business right now, right, we would be putting our blood, sweat, and tears and years into this business. We probably wouldn't be spending a lot of time with our family if we were if we were really fully dedicated to that particular startup uh, as our main priority, hopefully that's not the case for, for everybody, but you know, we'd be in that startup phase. We'd be sitting on milk crates. We'd been dry. We'd be driving our business success, you know, being really happy with our successes and just trying to move the business forward. And when you get beyond startup, as you know, a lot of businesses don't succeed and fail, but if you get beyond startup, you go to a lifestyle business, a lifestyle business is where, you're generating enough income for your business. You can pay your employees, you can pay your vendors, you can pay yourself. And you've really got yourself a glorified job where you're the boss, you have your own business. But it took you years to get there. It took you years to have that stability in building your business. But then there's the next phase. How do you get to a high performing business where you can extract value out of the equity you have in that business? You got to actually cross that, that bridge and get to a high performing business, which usually somewhere north of 15, $20 million in revenue. And the risks associated with getting there is where I failed massively, but also learned some tricks and formulas on how to get there. So I think that, you know, if you think about three phases, startup, lifestyle, high performance, how do you get from lifestyle to high performance through building an entrepreneurial culture in your organization? And some of the things that I've learned is probably what I'd like to share today, because I think that's an area where most entrepreneurs struggle. About 96% of businesses are kind of stuck somewhere between that startup and lifestyle and are never able to extract value out of their business and really become the chairman of their business versus the CEO operating their business. Well, you alluded to some learning lessons and even failure on your part. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So I have two stories to share, Rich, that both have extracted learnings or maybe formulas I've developed for myself as I move forward. And I think the first one is you know, a story over the past 20 years where I grew a business from a startup. It was a hobby business, a startup business that started growing pretty quickly and quickly became a lifestyle business where 
myself and the co-founders were paying ourselves for the business. It was a very nice business, but our equity percentage in it, because there was multiple owners, we brought in a small investor, you know, we probably own 10% of this enterprise, right? Uh, each of us. And as you get to that $10 million phase, what you know is hard to understand sometimes when you have a $10 million business, really you're a lifestyle business. You know, the, the profitability of the business is really paying the owners. And if you spend any money to reinvest in that business, you're trying to, to maintain or grow, but it's a slow path. And one of the things I learned in my story, Rich, is I tried to cross from lifestyle to a performing business and did some things that in hindsight, if you think about the, um, the growth pattern was a little too aggressive, right? And I learned some components where, you know, I could share a little bit more of that story where equity was lost, control was lost, um, you know, systems weren't in place, you know, a lot of learnings that led to ultimately a massive failure of what was a north of a $50 million business that led to a lot of pain for not only myself, but people in that organization. Um, and the business wasn't able to survive some of the components that transpired that I have to be introspective about and realize what were the, what were my contributions? Like, what are the things I would never do again being faced in this situation? And I also have a story that's a complete opposite, where it's a 20 year business that was more of the uh, tortoise versus the hare that took the slow path, controlled all the equity, uh, made smart financial decisions, was very focused and took a lot longer to get to its destination but now has the stability of success that could be a high-performing business. So those two stories in contrast, I've learned some pretty big lessons in each. Hmm. And on the, the too aggressive growth side, where you said you did not have systems in place, talk more about that. Yeah. So it's the growth paradox, right? So you're, you're in this lifestyle business and you want to become a high-performing business. So for lack of a better example, you want to be. You want to move from a ten million dollar business to a thirty million dollar business or forty million dollar business because you know if you get there, there'll be profits you can extract out of the business for the ownership, and you can create value or wealth or equity. But how do you do that? So if you're listening to this right now and you have a lifestyle business, we have a nice business. You're making solid income for yourself, but you basically work in the business. You know, you're not working in other things. This is your pride and soul. Your your all of your uh, wealth is in this one business. And you want to get it from that point to a performance business where you're more of the chairman of a company. Well, how do you do that? So when you think about it, if you invest to hire more people, you're going to end up paying yourself less because you pay yourself last. So if you're hiring more people, you're paying yourself last. If you bring on equity from equity partners, you're going to have less ownership in the business. If you, you, know, if you invest too much in, in wild ideas, you may just burn cash that ultimately would be your income. So entrepreneurs get stuck in this growth paradox that growing actually causes more pain, whether it be for my own personal income or for hiring new more people and more problems. And when you get caught in that growth paradox, there's some very critical areas that I learned through that, that process that I would never do again. I can share those with you if that's the appropriate yeah. time. Yeah. Let's go with the, the never do again principles. That's great. Yeah. So I guess the first thing for me, entrepreneurs like to grow. We like to build, we like to grow in the, did you not ever do again? I caught myself in a grow for the sake of growing. I think you've heard me say on this podcast many times, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, cash is king. In this particular instance, revenue was the driver. How can we get this business from 10 million to hundred million? Let's go. And there were other reasons behind that. 
because I own such a smaller percentage of that company, getting it there would create value and equity value for the partners and for everybody else. But, but the why was twisted. Were we trying to create equity value or are we trying to grow revenue? So by trying to grow too quick, Rich, there's certain things that happen, right? By trying to grow too quick, you take on bank debt because you want to you know, make investments in your business or make acquisitions, or you bring on equity partners into your business that come on to your shareholders or they come on as board members and you lose control of the business because you need to bring on equity to then pay back the bank or grow further. And so you're chasing this growth component. And, and ultimately, you as you do that, your company grows, your company absolutely grows, but can your management and leadership keep pace? Can your systems keep pace? Can your, can your leverage of the bank keep pace? Uh, do you bring on equity partners too quick without really knowing them and vetting them and lose control of your business? And all of those things happen because we were trying to grow. We were chasing revenue and not really chasing the why. Why are we doing that business? So that was the lesson number one. That was a very painful lesson to learn because entrepreneurs like to grow. Yeah. So number one on the never do again is just grow for the sake of growing without really having it be anchored in purpose. Exactly. Okay. And then what would, uh, I assume you have others as far as a never do again? Yeah, I, I have five, uh, you know, keeping it in, in, awesome. uh, in, in tight numbers. So number two for me was saying yes to everything. The shiny object syndrome. You know, in this particular business, we had a very core uh, competency of, of where we knew we could perform and do well. But as you grow and you want to grow too quick, you now start seeing shiny objects. You're in demand. Your company's growing. Your, your brand is growing. And what ended up happening is as soon as we would step out of that core, as soon as we step out of that core focus, it took more time, more energy, more capital, more resources, more of my time as the CEO of the business to completely distract me from what was actually our bread and butter of the business. And those components, every area that we distracted from the core, we found that it sucked up capital, time, resources, energy, and turned into being failures and really anchors to the entire focus of the business versus just focusing on our core and being the best in the world at it and continuing to grow in those areas. Can you ground that in an example of in your business? What did you say yes to? How did it become a distraction? Yeah. Uh, just in a real life example versus just staying in kind of theory land here. Yeah. So in this particular business, <clears throat> you know, we became experts, in my opinion, of acquiring and integrating other small businesses into our business. We would we would bring on an entrepreneur who had a small lifestyle business. We'd bring them into our business, help them grow and expand their business with with our you know our assistance, right? What ended up happening, though, is we saw areas of opportunity where we could actually start up new divisions as opposed to acquire them. So as opposed to acquiring a business that could give us this core competency, we said, well, we can do that ourselves. We'll make a lot more money if we just invest and start up this new business ourselves. Well, our core was, A, not in that business. B, our core was not in startups of business. It was in acquiring and integrating existing businesses. And by starting up those businesses, as you know, Rich, you go all the way back to day one. You got to invest in the business. You got to invest in systems. You got to invest in people. You got to learn the business. And, and it took us so much energy and time and resources to start up new businesses versus stay to our core of acquiring and integrating businesses that it became a complete distraction to our business, to me, the CEO, to our financials. Um, and it became a drain. It became an anchor to everything that was strong and core of the business. And that is the 
prototypical entrepreneurial shiny object syndrome that every entrepreneur struggles with that was a massive learning for me to be, I can never do that again. You got to focus on that business and go hard. You can't go wide and deep in other areas that you're not core in. And the reason you went from an acquisition and integration uh, business into, oh, we can actually do that ourselves was really just chasing profit. There was a little bit of wanting uh, to take more profit and take on more work while you were at it and believed that it could be done. Would you say there was an element of hubris to that when you look back uh, in arrogance to that or would you go? Yeah. Massive. Like, you know, I mentioned a second ago and I was thinking about this conversation, you know, a hundred years ago, there was the fable of the tortoise and the hare. And the hare just had so much massive confidence that they could just run through the race, take a break, take a nap, have a snack. They just, they just knew they were going to win the race or the hare knew that they were going to win the race and they didn't, they didn't, uh, the slow and steady and constant won the race. And there's no doubt that the arrogance of, Oh, we can do that. We don't have to go buy this expertise. We can do that. When starting up businesses wasn't our core and our core wasn't even in that industry or, or practice of that business was a, was a, was definitely an act of uh, overconfidence, cockiness, arrogance, uh, all the components that I think sometimes entrepreneurs have when they're like, oh, we can do that. Why do we have to go buy from this vendor? Why don't we just create the chips ourselves? You know, that kind of uh, component is a, is a very dangerous mm. area. It's good. Let's move on. Uh, number three. Yeah. Number three for me that I would never do again and trying to cross from a lifestyle business to a high performance business is not properly vetting people in upper management that you're bringing in, whether that be investors, whether that be other executives into your business. Um, you know, I had a practice and I've always had a practice with, with our businesses to have strong onboarding in terms of, you know, vetting out people that are coming into the company, right. Uh, whether, you know, wherever they may be and had a passion for that. In one business, I would interview every single person that would come into the company, no matter what level they were. But yet, when you're chasing that revenue, when you're chasing the lifestyle to the performance business, and you're going too quick, and you need capital, or you need new leadership because you're growing too quick and you need to bring people into upper level management, uh, you can make mistakes. And not properly vetting people out, not properly backgrounding people, you know, really researching their history and who they are and what they did really has caused a massive amount of pain, not just for me, but for the business, for the people. Um, you know, there's a, there's a book out there that uh, tells a fable about, um, you know, uh, an upper level manager that gets added to a business and destroys the business from the inside. Uh, it's called Snakes in Suits, uh, where psychopaths invade your upper level management. And they turn everybody against you. They talk behind everybody's back. They convince, you know, they, they, they ruin the culture from the inside out of your business. And when that happens, you can't extract it because it's too late. And uh, not vetting people that come into your business at upper level management can really destroy your culture, can destroy your performance, can destroy you, can destroy the company. Uh, and I experienced that in a very painful way. I made decisions too quickly to fill voids because I was trying to grow too quickly without properly vetting people I was bringing into upper level management of the company. Very, very painful mistake. I feel like if we were to talk 10 years ago and I were to say, Hey John, um, 
do you think you should vet people in upper management? Be like, yeah, absolutely. Like there's not a chance you would say, nah, I think as as I move on in the business uh, with upper management, I should vet people less. You wouldn't have said that 10 years ago. So I'm struggling a little bit on why is this even a learning lesson? Like what was what was the distraction that got you away from what you would have answered as elementary 10 years ago? Somehow you didn't do that. What was the distraction that you didn't do that? Overconfidence, naivete, and overtrust. As the CEO of a company that you co-founded, if somebody doesn't work out, get rid of them. What's the risk? No big, no big deal. When you try and grow too quick and you're trying to fill these holes and fill these gaps and there's pressure and you're running around trying to work in your business, on your business, you're all over the place because you're spread too wide, too thin. You're going to make these types of mistakes. And some of those mistakes are irreversible. But in practice, sometimes you take those risks as entrepreneurs to add someone to your business that you haven't fully vetted yet because you feel like, what's the harm? doesn't work out. I'll let them go. And uh, that naivete and that overconfidence, that arrogance to, well, nothing's going to happen. Like I'm in control of this business um, is a very dangerous place to be when you bring the wrong people into your business. I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but I do a little. When you're talking about vetting people in upper management and even at an investor level, yep. what does that look like? What is that? Is that an extra interview? Is that meeting somebody's family? Is that calling former business relationships that they had? Like, what is the vetting? If you could go back, what could you have done that would have created the red flag at the right time? Yeah, I'll tell you the the best hires that I've ever made, probably the best hires your firm has ever made, are hires where you have history, you've worked together, you do know their character, you do know what they're about. And when you grow too rapidly, you don't have that luxury. Uh, For many of the hires we had in this particular company, a lot of them were warm network referrals. People we had worked with, we had known, even the businesses we had acquired and the entrepreneurs that come on, we had gotten to know them through that process of working with each other as a, as a relationship. When you grow too quickly and now it's you're just seeking anybody who can help plug the hole, uh, now you risk what's that next level of diligence you need to do. And if you have that overconfidence to, well, you know what, they're going to come in our business and they're going to follow our way or else they'll, they'll just kind of spit out the other end. And you don't vet out their work history. You don't talk to other people that have worked with them in the past. You don't try and seek out more about this person's past and history and working relationship. And you're just blinded by their resume and you're blinded by their charm and their charisma and what they can bring to the business. You're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I need. I need exactly this. And you bring them into your organization, come to find out that their charisma and charm and everything else was the way that they actually work their way into organizations at upper level management uh, at, at such a high level. So it's a, it's a con, it's a dupe and you dupe yourself. You, you don't, you have blinders on because you're trying to grow too quick. You're trying, you have so much overconfidence that you're going to get there that you miss what you should be doing tactically. I'm almost hearing 
the people who you have a history with or they were networked and you can trust their character, there's kind of an assumption of yes until they prove you differently versus the people who you don't have a lot of history with who are in an upper management role. I'm kind of hearing go with an assumption of no until they prove you differently. Absolutely. Or, or don't bring them into upper level management. Bring them into a role as a consultant or a manager somewhere themselves. else where you can learn more about them before they can earn that role. You know, yeah. you, you, you're never going to take somebody and make them your number two or put them on your board of directors or do things like that if you haven't fully vetted them. And those were mistakes that I had made um, because I was chasing and because I was excited, because I had that energy and I needed to plug holes in order to get to that next phase of our business. And that's the danger of trying to cross from lifestyle to performance too quick. Yeah, that really resonates with me on a way to vet them is don't start them in upper management, have yeah. them earn their spot and develop some of that history and knowledge of their character while they're at it. That's good. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to number four. Yeah, so, so number four for me is not mastering financial reporting. You know, when I talk about chasing revenue, what I'm really talking about at the end of the day is measuring your business on the performance of your profit and loss statement, right? Are you generating enough revenue? Are your expenses in line? Are you making money at the end of the day on the P&L? When you grow a business too quick, and specifically, Rich, if you start going into other verticals and other types of businesses and you start chasing the shiny object syndrome, having financial controls for different types of businesses is very difficult. As an example, you're in a business right now where they have one core competency. And that core competency is easily financially tracked because they do the same thing every single day. They focus on their core competency. And so the systems to manage that can be perfected over time. But if you start going wide because of shiny objects and jumping into other industries, for example, selling widgets versus manufacturing widgets versus selling a service are all different types of financial management systems and how you track them and how you measure them. And as you start going in, in this particular case too fast and you're spreading yourself globally with different currencies, you're spreading yourself in different industries where it's tracked differently, there's different management systems or CRM systems or ERP systems. How do you take all of that and put it into a nice clean reporting system package is a very difficult thing to do. And if you can't do it, you should slow down. If you cannot master financial reporting beyond the PL to cash flow statements, balance sheets, net operating cash flow statements, all those other things, you don't know, actually know how you're doing. So you're growing, you're seeing the top line grow, and you feel like that's the right thing. But until you've mastered financial reporting, you're actually you're potentially creating a, a bigger problem. So it all feeds into the first comment of you know, are you, if you're growing, if you're trying to get from lifestyle to performance, and you're just trying to go too quick. What are all the issues you're going to have that I had as an example that were formulas for disaster and not mastering financial reporting was my number four. And uh, the last one. Yeah. Last but not least, this, this is something that, that um, I've heard so many times after I made these types of mistakes or this mistake. But one thing I never can do again is make a decision that's irreversible. You have to avoid a mortality event. When you're running a startup business as an example, right, Rich, you will do everything and anything to maintain your startup. And that's an area that I think over the years, um, 
certainly in my younger years, felt very confident about. Hell or high water, this startup was going to work. I was going to do anything and everything to make sure this worked. As your business grows and you are in that lifestyle and you're trying to cross from a lifestyle business to a performance business, you're going to be faced with so many big decisions. Some big decisions are easy to make because you know you can reverse them. Some big decisions you make or shouldn't make are the ones that are irreversible and can cost you everything. Example, because you're going to ask me, give me some examples. Taking on too much bank debt with your personal guarantees and putting yourself on the hook. Maybe you shouldn't make that investment. Maybe that's too much risk for your business because if that investment doesn't work, you just put your whole family in jeopardy, as an example. Selling equity in your business to bring on investors. Equity is the one thing, Rich, you'll never get back. It's not reversible necessarily. It has been reversed over time. People bought, bought back equity. But once you lose equity or sell your equity, you're never going to get that back. And as a byproduct of that, you also are losing some control of your business, if not all the control in your business. So you, for you to put your business in a position where it needs to do that, it's not reversible. And if you do it to a certain degree where you're trying to grow too quick, you're trying to build too quick, you bring on too much equity, you bring on too much bank debt, you lose control of your business. And, and in this particular case of business that I'd spent 17, 18 years building, blood, sweat, tears, everything. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that maybe wasn't the right decision. Maybe I should have taken a different path to cross from lifestyle to performance and not lose control, lose equity bring on too much bank debt or other big decisions that are just simply irreversible. When you buy a business, it's irreversible. You just bought it. You didn't properly vet out that business. You now own it. You own the problem, right? So any decision that's irreversible takes 10x the diligence that you would normally take in other decisions. And one of the things that I learned is I was taking the same amount of diligence in these big decisions as any other decision because I didn't have the time or energy. I was growing too quick. I wanted to get there too quick. I was too excited to get there. And that's a big problem. You have to avoid mortality events because part of the name of the game in entrepreneurism is perseverance. Uh, the five never do's again. I think you had alluded to, you have a, the other side of the list of, uh, is it five absolutely do agains? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like I just gave five things on how you can lose your business in 12 months. That's exactly, do exactly these things if you want to lose your business, right? Going from lifestyle to performance. And so one of the things I learned in trying to move from lifestyle to performance, is A, how to do it, which I want to go through next, but then what the value is of doing that, how becoming the chairman of your business versus the CEO operating your business can really change things and how you should do it, right? What's the formula of success I've had? And to, to answer your question, you know, uh, a business, again, 20-year-old business, was more of the tortoise than the hare, right? Was steady, slow, consistent, was not chasing revenue. And so I learned consequently the five formula pieces on that that have led us to create a performance-based business where I can actually be the chairman of that business and be able to diversify my interests in other things. So on these five on how to create success, Yep. is really speaking to the entrepreneurs who are the active CEOs in the business. And yep. it's about how to create the success level to go from CEO to chairman or chairperson of the business. That's right. That's right. And, and, and this, this is kind of a do this, not that kind of component. I just gave you the don't do because uh, I did that and failed massively. 
And now I want to go to the do this because this has been very successful for me, counter to what the story I told you before. And so to, to give you a quick little overview of this, right? Started a business, co-founded a business, was focused in, in one specific area, one specific business, right? And over time, built leadership within that organization, grew a lot slower than maybe I would have liked to grow the business, had some difficult times we had to persevere through. But the number one lesson I learned in that business now in hindsight was patient ambition. Whereas in the first example, don't do was grow for the sake of growing. Grow for your ego, grow for your overconfidence, grow because you want to be the biggest. This business was more patient ambition. It was, we know what we want to do. We don't have to do it tomorrow. Um, We don't want to lose control of the business. We don't want to put more debt on the business. We don't want to bring investors. Let's just keep growing it steady, constant and constant and constant. And if you... If you, uh, I'm sure you have the Jim Collins book, Good to Great. They talk about three disciplines, the disciplined people, the disciplined thoughts, and the disciplined actions. And I think that's kind of where patient ambition comes in is can you have the discipline to just be steady and constant through those decisions to to last the test of time versus drive the Lamborghini off the cliff? And is that your number one of the do again? Is it practice, patient, ambition? Absolutely. Okay. And it's very difficult for entrepreneurs, by the way, very difficult. But if they can, they can focus all of their energy into that core. Yeah. And I can see where typically patience and ambition don't go hand in hand. Exactly. How do you balance that? How do you maintain ambition in that fire in your belly while you're kind of holding and waiting without that fire going out or without trying to stoke that fire? Just acknowledging it exists in not doing much about it for now. Yeah. Well, it's the yin to the yang, right? Like uh, the, the, the number one thing on don't do is grow too quick. The number two thing was say yes to everything. Well, the number two thing on what you should do is have a very focused three to five year strategic plan. And if you have that focused shared, uh, not you just build it yourself, but you built it with your upper level management team a very focused three to five year plan, there's so much that you can do within that business to work on that business, to perfect systems, to perfect people, to not perfect people, excuse me, but perfect the people you have in the business or you know, improve where you are, continuous improvements, a core value I know you have. If you focus on that and you know what your three to five year plan is, and you then constantly create a one-year plan, and then you create a quarterly plan and you work that quarter plan with your team, you may not be spreading yourself all over the place, so it may not satisfy that, but your ambition towards that plan is being achieved. And that focus, that three to five year strategic plan was a game changer for this particular business where every year in Q4, we would review the th- a one pager, a three to five year plan that we had created, a template from the Rockefeller Habits. And every year we would take out last year's plan and go, okay, what are we changing? Has, a three to f- has, has our why changed? Has our core values changed? Has our five-year plan changed? As our, okay, what do we need to do this year to accomplish? It almost goes back to the one thing theory. And we would come up with a plan and then we would divide, conquer, and attain the plan. And if anything came up throughout that process, it was like, well, should we do this or should we do that? We'd look back at the plan and go, nope, that's not in the plan. Let's stay to the plan. And we would, and we would continue to work it, which I think it's a funneling of energy to answer your question. As an entrepreneur, you need to funnel your energy 
into what are you trying to do and why versus yes, 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 scatter, scatter. Let's go shiny object. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And that was the difference in those two examples. Mm. So the patient ambition, one of the, how do you handle that is in your tip number two, which is have a three to five year strategic plan. And that's both where uh, patients can be uh, exercised because it is a three to five year plan. It's not a do it next week plan. Yep. And also ambition can be exercised because yep. there is some dreaming that can happen in a three to five year plan. Yeah. And, and I would add not only have a three to five year strategic plan, stick to it. And your number three. Build entrepreneurial leaders, build your entrepreneurs within your organization to think, act like and perform like entrepreneurs. You and I had an episode earlier on in, in season two, control versus commitment and what the difference is as a leader. There's no doubt in my mind, Rich, that your job as an entrepreneurial CEO is to replace yourself as quickly as you can. There's no doubt in my mind. You cannot do that by controlling everything in your business. You cannot do that by trying to hog all of the equity in your business or the value that's being created by your business. You do that by creating entrepreneurial leaders, by having them share in the success of the business, by training and leading them and allowing them to fail and grow, by having them participate in the three to five year strategic planning, by showing them what their succession planning is, by investing in their leadership in other areas, helping them grow and show them this is your pathway. You can also be a big piece of this business, not only from your role, not only from your compensation, but also from an equity stake in the business, from the ability to be the person running the business in the future. Until which time you have a succession plan to replace yourself in your business, you're stuck. You are going to be running that business until you sell it or close it. And that's not the definition of working on your business. That's working in your business. So Building entrepreneurial leaders in your organization is the next step of where I've found success. And as part of building entrepreneurial leaders, having that leader really own the success and failure that's within their purview, uh, as you might say. So for example, you have an entrepreneurial leader in marketing that really owns the marketing piece of the business, or you have an entrepreneurial leader on the sales side that really owns and, and entrepreneurial, meaning they can take risks, they sure. can fail, they are going to hurt when they take risks and fail, and they're going to feel great when they take risks and win. Is that part of building entrepreneurial leaders? Is that freedom involved in their space in your business? Absolutely. I, I think that if you think about building entrepreneurial leaders, you got to treat them like entrepreneurs. You got to give them the reward. You got to give them the responsibility. You got to allow them to fail. You got to become a coach of entrepreneurs versus the operator of the business that everything goes through me and I'm the control factor and I'm in charge of everything. Way too many CEOs have this backwards. They believe that if everything, if they're not controlling everything, they're not the CEO. And I guess what I'm trying to portray here is the way you get from a lifestyle business to a performance business is you have to replace yourself. And you can't replace yourself unless you're giving some of those freedoms that you're talking, independence that you're talking about. That can be done on a divisional PL basis. It could be done on a role basis, and you're in charge of all these different components. 
But the biggest thing, and I think it's, it, this, this fits into a, maybe a different podcast conversation is millennials and you have to give them a sense of ownership and not a fake sense, a real sense, not only in what the business is doing and why it's doing it, but they can actually have a stake in it. Teaching people how to be entrepreneurs within your business and having them have a stake in it provides huge value to that CEO owner. Good. Let's move on to number four. On the opposite side was not mastering financial systems. On this side, it's mastering net operating cash flow and systems. Cash is king and queen. Revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. Cash is king and queen. A lot of businesses look at their P&L and go, look, I'm doing well. And then they pull their net operating cash flow and it's a loss. And I mentioned this many times on this uh, podcast. I, I watched a video in 2020 during the peak of the pandemic then by the Growth Institute. And it was by far the best financial video I'd ever watched in my life. Maybe the best business video I ever watched in my life. And they talked about as we enter this pandemic, are you measuring your net operating cash flow? And how are you managing cash flow? And I then consequently started measuring every month our business's net operating cash flow and, our, and, our, and the success of our business based on that particular uh, model. You know you've achieved strong financial reporting, strong financials in your business when you can walk into a bank or you can walk into any situation with your balance sheet and somebody looks at your balance sheet and goes, wow, that's a solid business. You have the ability to loan without being over leveraged, right? To, to take on some debt in your business. You can make investments with your reinvestment, reinvested capital, retained earnings. Mastering net operating cash flow and having a strong balance sheet, you cannot get from lifestyle to performance without it. In the other example I gave on don't do this, we tried to go from lifestyle to performance with a weak over leveraged balance sheet which then required capital, which then required loss of control, which then required on, on, on. Good. And uh, last one, number five. Become the chairman versus the CEO. You want to become the chairman of your business as quickly as possible. You want to work on your business, not in your business. And people think about chairman, they think about large boards and chairman. At the end of the day, are you an operator or are you an owner? And I, I mentioned earlier, Rich Dad Poor Dad as an example. If you can diversify your income streams, get equity value out of your business, although you don't have to spend all of your time in the business, you stop exchanging your time for money. You start extracting value out of your business that you can reinvest in other areas, whether it be your family, whether it be other business interests right now, whether it be blockchain or cryptocurrencies, whether it be other businesses you want to acquire or have interest in, whether it be charities. You can invest in other areas and diversify your, your portfolio versus having all of your eggs in one basket. What does being chairman of the business actually mean? You're coaching the entrepreneurs of the business. You're involved in the three to five year strategic planning and you trust the executive team, whether it be the CEO, the president, the CFO, the COO to run that business as if you were there. Your involvement is coaching, leadership, strategic planning, high-level oversight, big decisions, big irreversible decisions you want to be involved in to make sure those don't happen without you being involved in it. And then diversifying your time and attention so you can either enjoy 
components you want to enjoy and have the free, like, think about it, Rich. When, when you think about entrepreneurism, the American dream, the American dream isn't to work 80 hours a week on your own business, right? It's, it's to have those freedoms. And, you know, I like to look at, um, uh, you know, what I said earlier, like you don't create wealth running a business. You create wealth when you can tap into the equity that's being created in your business. Because when you're working in your business, you're investing your time for money. The profits are being reinvested in working capital. You're taking the profits and you're reinvesting and you just and, and you don't trust anybody else. You're not building anybody else to help take your business to the next level. It's you. It has to be you. Nice. So I've got a nice tight list of uh, five things to never do again and five things that, that you would absolutely do again. Would love to just kind of open it up to you for any final thoughts and comments on these topics today. You become an entrepreneur for a reason and you have to be careful what your true intentions are. What's your why? And sometimes it takes a big punch in the gut to wake up and realize that maybe you're chasing the wrong thing, doing it the wrong way. And I guess the piece that I hope is I can influence entrepreneurs to look at, you know, if you're going to cross that bridge from lifestyle business to a high performance business, you got to move from operating CEO to chairman of your business and take, take the slow, constant, steady route versus the quick, careless route. You know, it's a, it, it's a painful lesson, you know, and, and we had Aaron Deal on, it was fail and fail often. It's great. Like, yeah, it's great, but it's painful as heck. And if we can, you know, help entrepreneurs through this podcast or through these messages, you know, do this, not that, you know, there's some learnings there. And if you could take one thing from this conversation or entrepreneurs could take one thing from this conversation, it's stick to a plan, stay focused and work on your business, not in your business.